Welcome to the Intentional Podcast, empowering you to gain clarity on how to live with more intention. We're your co-hosts, Mara and Kevin, two friends sharing notes on how we prioritize our values, mental health, and purposeful work. In this episode, we talk about our many experiences with failure and its effect on how we viewed ourselves, how to reframe the fear of failure, and how to create a supportive environment to help you bounce back from them. Enjoy the show. All right, so let's start with sharing something from our jar of awesome. Kevin, do you want to go first? So just today, I got to schedule my wedding tasting and engagement photo shoot appointments with my fiance and the people that we have to schedule with. And this is just an exciting time because we're making progress towards our wedding. I wanted to just put that in my jar of awesome because there's a lot of things going on outside of the wedding and just making these little steps towards bringing the wedding to life is always a win for me. So yeah, how about you? Yeah, that sounds exciting, especially because it's almost like little fun events that are building up to your actual wedding. Yeah, so my jar of awesome, it's, it got a little sunny this week in the Bay Area. And then so I actually decided to sit closer to the window when I was working this morning. And then it's cool because there's a building next to us. And then for a few minutes, the sun would hit the window and and then the sun was hitting me, but I just let it and I just sat there and I just soaked in the sunshine and I just, I don't know, I just sat in it. And then even though it was getting hot and I felt like I was burning, but I was like, but it feels nice because it's felt like a really long winter. So it just feels nice to like look at the blue skies, see the clouds roll in, all of that. So yeah, that's my little jar of awesome. I love that your jar of awesomes are really enjoying the little things in life. And <laughs> I really appreciate that. It, it really helps me really focus more on the little things as well. And adding those into my jar of awesomes to eventually share with the podcast. So yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll try to talk about more big stuff. <laughs> but no, like no, no, no. <laughs> I, I think that's really cool. E- even just those little things. It's, it's a great example of the things that we can be grateful for. I really appreciate that. And that's actually something that I'll probably look into sharing more often here. Yeah, I'll challenge you for one episode to share something really small and random that you've noticed in your day. I don't know. I just, that's what I see. Maybe it might be just with the pandemic and being indoors and then trying to like appreciate the little stuff. So I think that's it too. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Cool. So we're talking about failure and how to reframe it. Failure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like this is a, always a topic that comes back every once in a while because whenever we're doing anything, we're, whenever we're striving for anything, I feel like failure will come in many forms, whether it's a small failure or a big failure. And I, I think there's a lot to talk about because as I'm doing Curative Co and as you're doing the Death Engineer, I feel like we are getting into territory where some failures are bigger than others. So for example, like I started a community and I started YouTube videos and I, we're starting this podcast and a lot of that has a lot of metrics for success. And sometimes there's a lot of fear that comes into failure. So I, I do want to talk about the mindset around it, as well as some of our experiences with whether it's from our own creative content or it's from school or anything like that. I, I wanted to know, like as a child, when you grew up, what was your view on failure? And then how did your perspective on failure grow as you grew? Well, I guess something that symbolizes looking back how I feel about failure is that I still remember that in some elementary school spelling tests, I got excited, the word excited wrong. 
And that was the only word I got wrong. And that I felt such a, a failure. But then to, to realize that even at this age, I still remember that small detail. It stuck with me. But I think it's because even as a kid, I had the perfectionist tendencies already. And I had to get 100% on the, on the test and all that stuff. It was hard because it's also, you get those rewards, especially in elementary school, you get a sticker or you, your teacher will write great job on it. So then you realize as soon as you don't do well, and as soon as you start to quote fail, then all of that kind of disappears. And then I never felt like I had it in me to just be like, oh, but I think I did a good job. Or I think that, oh, I can just improve for the next one. So that one, that in me didn't develop until... Probably like later in high school, like as I got older and as I got to understand myself more that that test doesn't define me. Yeah, but it's hard. It's even now there's even little failures that we deal with that aren't related to an exam or school anymore. I wanted to talk about that perfectionism mindset because mm -hmm. I do feel as a student in a school, you obviously want to get those good grades. But I actually had that perfectionist mindset because I was failing a lot and I would be seen as a dumb student or I wasn't doing well in school. And in the Asian culture, at least for my culture, our parents want us to strive for excellence and, and perfection comes from it, getting straight A's. And sometimes we're compared to other kids or other students where they get straight A's and obviously straight A's is considered perfection. And then when I would be compared to other students, when they're getting straight A's, it made me just feel like I was a failure unless I reached perfection. And so it was interesting because I never really got good at school until I started taking Kumon, mm -hmm. which is this extracurricular tutoring where you learn math and you try to like uh, improve or you try to learn faster than what you're learning at school. Then I started doing well in school. I started getting 100% and stuff like that. But that perfection mindset started taking over and started becoming a negative mindset because what I realized was I would strive for that perfection. And if I was being challenged and that challenged my perfect score, but I would not want to pursue it. So yeah, just an example, I was excelling in math all throughout elementary, all throughout junior high and first half of high school. And then I got to a point where I took honors pre-calculus. And then that was the first time I was in the advanced class. And then all of these people were the straight A students and their honor roll, and they were getting over 4.0 GPAs while I was still getting 3.8 or whatever. And I took that honors pre-calculus class and I started getting C's and D's and tests where everyone else was getting like B's or A's. And then so that was the first time I actually was challenged in math. And that perfectionist mindset made me want to actually step back and then not challenge myself and not work towards the more, how do I say it? I didn't want to put myself in, in a situation where I had to challenge my perfect score. Yeah, that perfectionism really held me back for a very long time until I just had to get to a point where everything was just hard and then I had to survive. So that perfection mindset went away, but I had to fail a lot and I had to get used to failing to really grow and to really learn because if I wasn't failing, then I felt like I was just stagnant. I didn't want to challenge my identity of being quote unquote perfect throughout my school career. And even till now, failure, I have a love-hate relationship with failure because I know when I fail, I'm learning something. But then on the other hand, depending on how big that failure is, sometimes it hurts a lot. And sometimes I feel it's harder to pick yourself back up when you fail from a big project or some big endeavor. I don't know if you felt that way in terms of different failures or different size failures. 
Have you had an experience where there was a lot more at stake and then you weren't sure if you were going to succeed and you did it anyway, but maybe you didn't succeed in 100% and maybe that was considered a failure? Where I've experienced failure more recently since high school and college and all that, I guess the first experience as an adult was all the job applications and job interviews and getting rejected from those. And I feel like those were always hard to bounce back from because especially if you walk into the interview, really feeling this is it, this is the position for me. I meet everything they're looking for. Like I studied so hard in college for like all that. And then you don't get it. And then there's usually no feedback given back to you. So you just have to drop it and move on, even though you envisioned yourself working at this company. So I probably went through that like hella times. And But I feel like that's always made me stronger for the next interview. I always take a day after I receive a rejection or just a few hours just to be like, okay, like feel my feelings and then think of what I can do like to improve the next time. But after that... Another failure I went through was I have to take exams to get my license, my civil engineering license. And then a few of those exams, I've failed a few times. And then what's interesting is that I always felt I had the weight on my shoulders because I felt like I have to pass this so I can get my license so that I can be on this path. And I also put this extra weight of I need to do this so my family will be proud of me. But my therapist actually helped me work through those thoughts and those feelings and helped me realize even if I failed, my family's still going to be proud of me. And I actually tested that in times where I, or I got proof of that in times where I told my mom I didn't pass. And she's, it's okay. You you can take it again. And then I was like, why did I feel like she was going to yell at me? And it it would give me a flashback back to college when I failed my first engineering class, which is dynamics. So everyone out there who took dynamics, that's where that's the class where they filter people out. Like if you're not up for this degree, then you get filtered out. And I called my mom crying and I told her I failed all this stuff. And I thought she was going to lecture me and get mad at me. But she was so comforting and encouraging. So it's almost like I put so much pressure on myself, even leading up to like taking these tests And then even after, if I fail or if I like don't pass or something, but then a lot of it was just all in my head of this added pressure. Yeah. Yeah. For you, how do you, yeah. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. I I saw like a theme that I resonate with because when you're talking about applying for jobs, especially the ones that you thought you were very qualified for, it sounded like you had a high expectation that like, okay, I should be able to make this. I'm qualified. I should get this job. It should be easy for me. And that expectation basically wasn't met. And then the other one you were talking about where you feel like there was a huge consequence that would come out of it if you failed. Both of those I really resonate with because for the longest time going back with school, I had this identity, which we talked about in the previous episode, where I had this identity that I was good at math. And if I was struggling, then something's wrong with me, that I'm a total failure. If I can't even do well in this class, then what's the point? So I had to really get over that hump, whether it was in high school when I did pre-calculus or when I was getting into college where I thought I was good in math, I thought I enjoyed physics, and then I was actually struggling. And I actually failed physics my first year in college, which required me to retake it that summer. And I was on AP, which is academic probation. So I really thought I was a failure at that point. And what I felt like you said about seeing that there's a big consequence for failing. I thought if I failed this 
class that everything was done. You can't really come back from it. You can't bounce back from it. You can't make up the the class and and maybe things are over for your college career. And for the longest time, I put that pressure on myself as well. Where okay, these are the defining moments of my school career or for my work career. Where if I don't succeed here, there's that scarcity mindset where I'm like, okay, there's no more opportunity after this. And I put so much pressure that maybe there are times when I just fixated on that fear of failure over actually just trying to do my best and realizing that if I failed, there's actually more opportunities to come. I, I I had that scarcity mindset when it comes to opportunities, and maybe that was because I heard stories about the financial crisis where a lot of jobs were lost, and you got to make sure you have a stable job, and if you don't have a stable job, you're screwed. And I know a lot of people. Suffered from that financial crisis, and and I think that's what kind of got ingrained with me. Some people did come out of the the rubble from that, but there were some people who weren't able to find another job because their skills didn't match the current market. And yeah, I, I definitely felt those fears because I felt like, and if I don't get that right, then w- what am I going to do? And and I think what you what you said, like my parents helped me get a better perspective on failure, where. When I was applying for jobs, my dad was giving me the suggestion, where he was like, "If you like the company, just apply. Don't worry if you're qualified or not. Just apply, and then if you get it, you get an opportunity to interview or you get the offer. Like, great, you did it. But the one way you will for sure not get an offer is if you don't apply. And so when I did job interviews, I was again doing poorly in school, but I just applied to every single company that I really wanted to work for. And I got a lot of no's, but there were some that I applied for that I didn't think I would get, but for some reason they gave me a chance, and that taught me a lesson about playing the numbers game, in terms of like at some point one day someone's gonna give you that opportunity that you've been looking for. If you put all of your eggs in one basket, then there's that bigger chance of failure, and then there's no other opportunity that you're gonna have. But if you spread it out, sprinkle yourself into different opportunities, and just seeing what works, what doesn't. Then and then having that kind of mindset of oh if this doesn't work out then that's okay I was able to approach doing my job search with the abundance mindset so yeah I that was a ramble but what I was trying to say is that I think just starting to look for jobs and getting a lot of no's at the beginning but finally getting internships and full time job offers that kind of taught me how to approach going for opportunities realizing that there's an abundance of opportunities and. We shouldn't just treat one failure as the end. Yeah, and I'm sure, like as we got into your death engineer and then curative co for me, I'm curious what other failures did you have to go through, and the lessons learned that you learned from your previous experiences did it help you with the way you created content or the way you started your content creation and all of that? Yeah, it's definitely allowed me to be more creative too because. When I create posts, or now I'm making more reels and stuff for Instagram, I'm like, okay, there's really no standard to it where people say like this is what you should include. But there's also like fun to just experiment. So I feel like that's what's allowed me to have more fun with it and to test things out. And then I realize like, okay, that kind of post didn't really get a lot of engagement. I'll try something else next time. So it makes it kind of like playful just to see like what is it where they say they're. They throw like spaghetti at the wall. Okay, I don't know if this is the right saying. Where you just see what happens. Okay, that's probably not the right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's just, but it's like, I guess it's even like if I was to actually throw spaghetti at the wall, like how fun that would be to actually mm-hmm. do it. So that's how it feels. And then it does help, help me just have more fun with it. And then it starts to train me because I have all these little failures instead of one big, oh, this Instagram did not work. It never feels like that. It actually feels this post, this type of post didn't work, or maybe this was hard to read, things like that. So it's all these little failures but then the word failure I know sounds so heavy but then maybe it's not failure maybe it's just all these little opportunities to learn something and improve so that's always yeah. how it feels when you're in the other at the other end yeah I, I like that perspective of experimentation and and I think we've talked about this where like especially when we're starting something out and there's for sure no consequence for trying something out, you're posting an Instagram post, I'm posting a video on YouTube. Besides the fact that maybe someone will say mean things, there's not much consequence that comes out of doing those actions. And I, I would love to hear your how you approach your experimentation because sometimes I feel like society creates this sort of expectation where every post needs to be curated, needs to be perfect. We were talking about perfectionism. How did you approach it with the experimenter's mindset? versus the perfectionist mindset where sometimes you see all the people that you follow, they have such perfectly curated posts. And that's how I feel about YouTube, where sometimes the people that I look up to, they have perfect videos or what seems perfect, you know, high quality. It looks like they their audio is perfect, their lighting is perfect and all of those things. I feel like I, even though I like plan ahead and I plan what posts I'm going to make and making sure, okay, there's a variety of colors, all this stuff, thinking of how it's going to look on the actual Instagram grid. But then I try to remember like I don't have to stick to that. So that's where I use this table feature in Notion because then I can drag stuff around and move things really easily. So if I'm like, uh, I don't really feel like making a reel next week, so then I'll move it around. So then it just makes me feel like I have a plan, but I also don't need to stick to the plan. So it lets me not only experiment with the posts themselves, but experiment with just my whole process of maybe I don't want to write about a certain topic this week or research a certain topic. So yeah, it's been fun to do what I feel like I want to do this week. Yeah. And to move things around if I want to. Yeah. Yeah. It it sounds like you're just focusing on your own content and not everyone else's, not comparing yourself to everyone else's content. Yeah. And that's where it doesn't feel... I haven't felt much of a big failure, even though there's a lot of other people posting about grief and death and dying in the Instagram world. There's a lot of other death doulas out there who are posting similar content. But then we all add our own like personality and our own touch to our content. So I think that's where I haven't felt so much failure in that sense, because I get to make it personalize it and add that special Marl flair and touch. And that is very unique that... Now, unless if they just copy my everything word for word and design for design, then sure, it's like the same thing. But yeah, it's, it's fun to get to also discover what you like and discover your style. So I wouldn't know what I enjoy doing without trying and experimenting. Yeah, that's very similar to how I view my growth when it comes to creating content or just learning something new. Because say I'm working on creating YouTube videos or editing podcasts or even just writing newsletters and blogs. I like to focus on how good was I in this area of content creation, maybe like one month ago, three months ago, six months ago, and then how am I with it now? And just seeing that sort of progress, even though there 
probably a lot of ups and downs in terms of like some content was doing quote unquote well, some weren't. And then just seeing maybe more of how is my storytelling? How is my framing from before? And just comparing myself to my past self. I think that's how I've gotten over failure because I know that if it wasn't for those failures, I wouldn't have gone to where I am now. I wouldn't have learned all of the different ways to improve or different ways to try, like you said, like new formats that I thought I liked, but maybe didn't, or I thought I didn't like it. And then I liked it. And it is cool because with the Instagram or with YouTube, you can see your progression and the growth that you've made in terms of your skills, in terms of what you've learned. And it's basically like a full history or a timeline of this is how much you've actually grown in your field. And so sometimes I forget that looking at my Instagram or maybe my YouTube channel, I can see that sort of progression. And it kind of makes me feel like um, more confident in myself and that approaching more challenging opportunities is actually not a bad thing. And I think that, like you said, with experimentation, all of these opportunities for me has been a sort of experimentation because content creation was not what I studied. And so everything that I'm doing is an experiment. And, and I think seeing where everything is going to pan out at the end, at the end of the day, I'm actually happy that I tried it out versus just dreaming about it and never taking action towards it. And I think that's something that you and I always, we always agree on where anytime we have an idea, we want to just take action. We want to not just keep it as a dream or an idea. We want to do our best to work towards it and, and just try it out. So I think that kind of mindset where there's abundance mindset, experimenters mindset, and just being a lifelong learner, those three types of perspectives really seems to help both of us get through all of these failures. And I really like that sort of view on how we approach our content creation. If there was something that you could have told younger past Kevin, especially like maybe during college, after failing a class or after experiencing any type of failure, what's one advice that you would have told him? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think just the fact that I learned so much about failure and, and my perspective on it has changed. I would have really suggested to my younger self that failure is just one step backwards or one step sideways, but it doesn't mean that you're stagnant. It doesn't mean that you're standing still. And I have friends who may have taken a little bit longer in college because they failed a few classes. And now they're in the same company that I was in, in the tech world. And they were in a similar position as I was in that company. And looking at that, and then looking at all of my experiences with Curative Co., I think just making sure that you don't stand still is the biggest thing. Because if you're standing still, the world will move on without you in terms of growth, in terms of learning, in terms of honing on your skills. And luckily for me, I still kept going even though I was failing my classes, but I was really hard on myself when it came to failing a class or failing a test. So I would have told myself to be more patient and more forgiving on myself and being okay with these certain failures. Because at the end of the day, I'm here, I got to graduate college, I found a job afterwards, and now I'm doing curative code. All of these things happened because I failed a lot, but I was really hard on myself before. Yeah, I would have been a lot nicer to myself if, if I knew all of these lessons. We could travel back in time together to pass Mar and Kevin in college and just cheer them on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure we saw each other like probably after we failed a test or failed a class. And it's like, 
But then you realize, oh, a lot of people are failing. Maybe this is okay. Yeah. It becomes normalized in college. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I think that a lot of people were struggling like us and some people were better at admitting that and some weren't. And some people just felt alone and they felt like they were the only ones failing. And of course, it's not true. But at the time, some of us probably felt that way. So mm-hmm. I, I hear you there. And, and I think that I could have been, I personally could have been better at handling failure and be more open about it to my friends, to my family, and, and maybe taking some advice about being more forgiving and all of that. I feel like what, at least I felt like I wasn't really, didn't really tie this into my mindset growing up was after all these failures, they happen. But then also on the other end is whenever you do have successes or wins to celebrate that. So I feel like I grew up thinking only focusing on the failures. And then if something good happened, I'm like, it's good. But then you still think that it could be better. So that's why as an adult, I'm starting to keep even a list of celebrating my wins professionally and personally. And just, and my therapist actually helps me. She's, let's just take a moment to like realize, you know, let's just celebrate that in this moment. And then I'm like, oh, I never like gave myself room for that. Because even after I failed dynamics and I took it again, and then I passed. And I was like, I didn't even celebrate that. I was just like, okay, cool. I don't have to take this class again. But I was like, dude, that was a hard class. And and then, yeah, of course, looking back, I never had to use dynamics ever again at work. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, just to think, I wish I celebrated. I mean, we celebrated pretty hard in college for random things. But then to celebrate about just passing a class that, you know, you thought you weren't going to pass. Yeah, that time feels so long ago now. Yeah, yeah, that celebrating small wins. And and that's why we do the Jar of Awesome at the beginning mm-hmm. of every episode for this podcast. That's a good insight. And, and that's something that I always struggled with before I learned about the Jar of Awesome and gratitude journaling as well. I think that the problem that like we grew up with the idea that once you gain traction or once you have this little success, then you move the goalposts and then you strive for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then You don't take a step back to just appreciate where you've gone compared to your previous self. And and I I definitely resonated with that as you were talking about it, because even though I passed a test or I completed a quarter and passed my classes, I was just worried and anxious about the next quarter in college. Or every time we completed a project at work, I just had to think about the next thing and the next thing. And it's almost never ending. Luckily, there were people in my support system that would remind me to celebrate because they're getting this perspective of you did all of that. It's like, that's pretty hard, you know, good job. And, and getting those little reminders has kind of helped, but I think you're right. Like you yourself has to remember to celebrate those small wins. And, and I think that's an important aspect of mental well-being, maybe, because if you're just focused on what's next and you're never happy with where you are now, you're just going to be miserable the whole time. And that's how I was for a very long time. I was hard on myself for every failure. And then I didn't celebrate all the wins and I was just in this miserable place. So the Jar of Awesome I've been doing since early 2021, and it's helped me a lot get a better perspective of how much I've done in the past day, in the past week, in the past month. And that's probably one exercise that I highly suggest people doing is just getting a piece of paper, a journal, do it on Notion. I have a Notion template for you. Create a jar of awesome, celebrate your wins, write down your wins, date it so that anytime you feel like you haven't accomplished anything, just look back at that history, that timeline of all of your wins and remember that you've done a lot. You've done probably more than you 
remember or that you thought you did? Yeah, that's the thing is we forget everything that we've like gone through in the past year or like life to I think that's where it helps in therapy. My therapist does have notes on past wins I've shared with her. And then she'll tell me something and I'm like, I already forgot that happened. Like I already forgot I experienced like so much joy after that happened. And it's nice to get refreshed and to have that mirrored back to you. But it is nice to find little ways to celebrate. The other day, I so I haven't ate hot Cheetos in a really long time. I bought myself a smaller bag, just a smaller bag of the Cheeto fries, not the usual bag that I breeze through. So I bought a smaller bag and I was like, I'm going to celebrate that I had a really good day at work today. And I ate it and I was just, yeah. But then it just brought me that little joy too. And I think especially during the pandemic and being in quarantine, And that you couldn't like say, hey, let's all go out to a bar and get drinks and celebrate together. We got creative with how we celebrated. At least that's how I felt with finding like, what can I do that'll bring me joy within the house? Or let me bake myself some cookies or something like that. Yeah. To add some context, Mar loves hot Cheetos. (laughs) I used to like eat hot Cheetos for dinner in college. Don't tell my parents, but I was like, yeah, no one's stopping me. So I'm going to do it. And then I take a fat nap after. But um, yeah, and chocolate too. Yeah, chocolate's still up there. But now I'm liking dark chocolate. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes I even get a nice bar of dark chocolate as a nice little celebration. Yeah. Yeah, your taste has refined as you get older. (laughs) And I I think dark chocolate is quote healthier for you, right? Yeah, like some antioxidants or something like that. Yeah, there's something. But not milk chocolate. But hot Cheetos is still pretty shitty for your digestive system, I think. Okay, I balance it out with going for a walk outside. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Approach with small quantities, celebrate (laughs) some small wins with a small bag of hot Cheetos or Mm -hmm. something like that. (laughs) And I don't feel a failure eating it. Sometimes I do feel like shit, but then I'm pretty proud of myself. The other day, I only ate half the bag and I saved the other bag for the next day. So I was able to spread out my joy in enjoying this bag of hot Cheetos. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I'll put some literal like hot shields into my literal jar of awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Every time you put an entry into your jar of awesome, then you can take out one Cheeto. Yeah. (gasps) That's such a good idea. But why is everything red? (laughs) Why is everything dirty? (laughs) And then they're all stale. I'd still eat them though. Okay. We're going on a really long hot Cheeto tangent, but it's okay. Just to add to that, you just have to celebrate more wins so you can finish the bag faster. Oh yeah. Every win is one hot Cheetos. Yeah. So yeah. Do you have the food that you turn to that's your like celebration food? Everything? Um, <laughs> lately, lately, no. I'll, I'll just admit on this podcast, after I turned 30, I had to watch what I eat. I started getting gout and then I can't eat spicy food anymore. Not as much as I did before. So I had to really watch what I eat. And, and I used to love eating spicy noodles or hot chicken sandwiches. Those were my thing. And then I would go there to celebrate, enjoy myself, a treat. But lately... I haven't celebrated wins through food. I've celebrated more of just taking breaks, actually. Like for the past few months or even for a year or two now, there there are moments where I feel like I had to do a lot more work than I usually do. And sometimes I had to just go all in on a certain project. And whether I succeeded or not, I celebrate by just going on vacation or spending a weekend where I don't open my laptop at all. And I do eat out with my fiance, but it's not, it's not spicy food, but essentially taking breaks is my form of celebration. And that's, that plus the jar of awesome has been very helpful. 
and just celebrating that sort of mental, what is it like mentally celebrating every single day and making coffee is my sort of my form of celebration because when I, after I make coffee, I do a jar of awesome. I, I write three entries of what I was proud of doing. And then I write three things I'm grateful for. So that's my other sort of way of celebrating my jar of awesomes or my wins. I keep thinking about what's it called? I think about, I feel like childhood was such a foundation for how we view failure. And then we're talking about examples from even just this week, what things that we do today. But then I just think about like, it does sound like we're both with the, we grew up with that perfectionist mindset. And then whether that was society or family or even our teachers that put that on us, I just think about like kids today and the way, or just in general, the way adults talk to younger kids and when they say like how they help them through a failure. I heard about how you shouldn't really say I'm proud of you, but you should say to the kid, oh, you must really be proud of yourself. But then I don't remember hearing that at least from like teachers and stuff. I don't know. I just think about kids today and especially all there's so much more comparison and it's more obvious with social media and all that. And when I'm saying kids, I feel like I'm also including like teenagers. I feel like I can call teenagers kids at my age, at our age. Yeah, that that reminds me of, I don't know if this happened when we were babies trying to learn how to walk, but I see our friends who have kids now when their kids are trying to learn how to walk, they maybe try to stand up and then they fall and then they just say, oh, it's okay. You can try again. And I don't know if that was a thing back then when we were babies, but I feel like having that sort of mindset for your child when they're trying to learn how to walk and it's okay that they fall down. It's okay if they misstep or they don't, they can't even hold themselves up. But then when we see failure for ourselves, we're so hard on us, ourselves. You have like this high expectation that we should be way better than a baby, but just like when babies are learning how to walk or they're achieving something small and, and we're trying to help them celebrate their own wins. We should be doing that too. I you should I feel have like, like a baby's mindset of like, oh, totally. Yeah. Like, oh, right. well, I fucked up. No one could get mad at me. I'm a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're trying out something new. It's mm -hmm. just like a baby learning how to walk, right? Or learning um, how to crawl or say, say a few words. We're a baby in certain fields and why aren't we treating ourselves with that sort of compassion as we are with our kids? And yeah, I like that. So forget about experimenters mindset, forget about all of those different mindsets, just approach it with the baby's mindset. We need to interview a baby on this podcast. I guess I, we have, we both have a mutual one-year-old baby friend. So shout yeah. out to our one-year-old baby friend. You'll maybe <laughs> we'll interview you and ask how it's been transitioning to this world of who's trying to like make you feel like you're a failure, but it's okay. I have two nephews or three nephews in Texas, but two of them who are a little older. One is 10 right now. And the other one, I think he's turning six, but he like used an iPad and then created a video of all their, they call them plushies, but they're like stuffed animals all making a skit and talking. And it's all improvised, but then just all that feeling of play and they just go with it. And there was no sense of failure in the way that they're creating that, like it was so fun. And it just makes me think that's the joy and that element of play that you just have to apply to everything you do because they were so confident and they showed me the video as if it was an award-winning play. <laughs> they're like, look at this thing we created. And then it's like, 
I don't know. Sometimes I think as we get older, we also have more worries and we also get more in our heads too about putting that added pressure that might not even be there. So yeah, maybe we should just go hang out at a playground when no kids are around and just a bouncy castle. I haven't been in one of those in a while and there's like <laughs> no failure in the bouncy castle. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And if you fall, uh, then you just get back up and start jumping. You just, yeah. yeah. Except, yeah, we just need to make sure there's no kids in there because I would hate to accidentally hit one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Kind of adding to what you said, I think when people grow older, they feel there's so much, the stakes are higher. Mm -hmm. They feel like each failure will have higher consequences and you know, when I think about working in the software industry, there are, at least for from my experience, there's a lot of ways that you can fail. And those are called bugs in the system. And the mindset of a good software engineering team is that it's okay that you have bugs because we will do our best to catch them. And if it happens that you have a bug that gets released into the, the general audience, it's okay because you can pull it back. Obviously, there's those concerns about like, if you have a bug in financial features and someone loses money, okay, there's some consequence there. But for the most part, it's known that software engineers will make mistakes. We're all human. We obviously do our best to try to find those bugs ahead of time. We, we try to mitigate those point of failures. But at the end of the day, bugs are the life cycle of a software development cycle. And it's going to come no matter what. No one's ever going to fully create perfect software. No one's going to code a perfect feature where nothing goes wrong. Just saying that out loud, whenever I create content, especially creating videos or when we do this podcast, I just need to remind myself that there are a lot of factors that are outside of our control. And if we focus on doing our best, and then obviously there are things that may go wrong, it's okay because most people are not going to fixate on this problem and then it's over for us. I feel like we can always improve, we can always learn, and we can always do our best to mitigate it for next time. And most of our failures are like these little things that are mistakes or whatever. Within our podcast, for example, is there's very little consequence. We create ourselves this opportunity where we can talk what we want to talk about and of course not offend anyone. We're just learning as we go. Yeah, it reminds me of when you spill, say you spill ketchup on your shirt and then you see it, but then no one else sees it. No one's pointing it out until you point it out and they're like, that was, it doesn't even look that bad. And I actually have a sweater where I see the stain every time I wear it. And now I'm like, oh, they can't see it through Zoom at least. But then also no one notices it. So that's a good one. <laughs> for sure. Do you know why they're called bugs? You know what? I think there was. I think the story was that some guy found or some person, I don't know if it's a guy or male or female, some person found an actual bug in the computer. And they <laughs> once they cleared it, everything was fine. I think that's the story. Oh, if it's not right, that'd be really I'm cool. going to remove it out of the episode. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool if that's the story. Yeah, what you're sharing too about the software engineering world and mistakes and I'm thinking about the civil engineering world. And I put so much pressure on myself where it's, oh, I have to get everything right or else people can lose their lives. 
And that's thinking super extreme where it's it's true that if a civil engineer messes up the design or stamps a plan that wasn't really properly reviewed, then a bridge could collapse. But then I wasn't even working on things at that scale, but I still had that same, maybe it was just what, trying to be a perfect engineer and trying to get everything. And also through that process, what kind of helped me with improving and dealing with failure is that sometimes you'll give your manager a set of documents and plans for them to review and they'll just write all over it with a red pen of all the things you need to change. And then I feel that's where like after college, that's where I started to get more used to like, okay, then I'll just apply the changes. I'll just make the revisions. And I'll also try to understand what did I do wrong that I can do better. I never felt like those moments were failures because they also weren't telling me this was horrible. You did a bad job or anything like that. If they did, that's a pretty shitty manager. But now it's more like, oh, are you open for feedback? Yeah, yeah. And and two things that kind of came up as you were saying that similar to software engineering, there are systems and processes designed to mitigate as many uh, mistakes and, and failures, quote unquote failures in uh, your work and having multiple eyes creates that sort of responsibility for the whole group. And and that's where the second point is coming to my mind where people are approaching reviewing your work as they're helping you. They're approaching it as we're working on this together. And yes, I'm pointing some mistakes out, but it's because we're a team and I want to make sure that you're doing your best. And if I'm giving you feedback, it's not because I'm against you. It's not because I'm calling you out. It's because I want to help you. And so having that perspective of feedback is always helpful because you're not afraid to have mistakes when you show your work to the world. And I think that's a good example. Both of our examples that are outside of content creation, those are examples of creating processes and environments where you mitigate the failures as much as possible while learning along the way and adding on to that sort of process and, and guardrails so that you can prevent as much mistakes as possible. And then when you do make those mistakes, it's in an environment where you can fix it right away or you can make iterations. Yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of as I'm doing this content creation, one weekly newsletter or one episode of the podcast is not a huge project. These are tiny projects and, and it builds up to a whole project of the podcast or my, my newsletter series. But yeah, it's setting yourself up for that sort of iteration process is always key to improving and to learning. Yeah, I feel like it's also nice in these some of these work environments or professional environments where they also don't put all the pressure on one person. So it never fell like on one person's shoulders. And I would think that a lot of companies do have these kind of processes. That's true teamwork right there. And and mm -hmm. that's what I try to do with my newsletter and any content that comes out of Curative Co. Is if I create a newsletter, I have my fiance help review it and she goes through this process as well as uh, I do on making sure we have all the guidelines, we have all the disclaimers. If we talk about something that's that may be difficult for people to read, even when you create Instagram posts, we, we verify all of these things and just make sure like we have trust for each other, but we also want to make sure that we're submitting the work as a team versus pointing each other out and saying, oh, you made a mistake or you made a mistake. So yeah, having a good team and a trusting team where they will help you and give you feedback and give you support versus seeing you as a competitor or as a dumb team member. Anytime you have that sort of toxic environment, you should definitely leave. You're not going to handle failure if your team members don't have your back. So yeah. That's true.
Yeah, same yeah. with in the family setting. Your parents, your your siblings, your cousins are all part of your team too. So it's also feeling that support and also social groups and your friends. And we're also all here for each other to, on the other end, celebrate wins together. So I feel like it's a nice little balance. Totally. Yeah, I, I think this is a perfect uh, ending spot in, in terms of talking about failures and how, how to reframe it. Any key takeaways that you want to re-emphasize to the audience and have them take home from this episode? Yeah, I guess to approach, especially if it's something new and you're already sensing that you might fail, but to approach it with play and curiosity and experimentation. And it'll just put you in the right mindset to be more flexible rather than I have to get this right or else this will happen. Yeah, that's my takeaway. How about you? That's approaching it with the baby's mindset. We're going to we're gonna trademark that. <laughs> it's funny because that was mine. But the other thing that I wanted to say is that no matter what, taking on opportunities and having that risk of failure means that you're not stagnant and you're not standing still. And I think that's better because you're going to learn a lot. You're going to grow. And most likely, you're going to make some progress towards whatever goals that you're working towards. Celebrating those small wins is always a good thing because even though you're trying all these opportunities and maybe you fell nine out of the 10 times, that one time is actually going to be very meaningful. And you wouldn't have reached that 10th time, that success, unless you failed that first nine. So I think that sort of approach and, and mindset, knowing that if you just keep trying and learning more about yourself and growing from the experiences, one day there will be that success that you were looking for, or maybe you weren't looking for it. And that will be something meaningful and make sure you make time to celebrate that win. Cool. So yeah, th thank you all for listening to this episode. I really thought uh, this was a good one because we've learned a lot through every phase of our life, whether it was elementary school, high school, college, and after college where we're working full time or we're doing our own creative endeavors. Yeah. Any final words? Yeah, I'd love that if I make it to my 80s, I'd love to still have that that baby's mindset and curiosity and to still be like, who knows? I feel like even in retirement, people try new things and they have fun with it. So maybe we, we have to approach it from a baby's mindset and also an elderly person's mindset of just experimentation and just joy. I hope when I'm 80, hopefully I reach that age. I hope that my digital jar of awesome is still around somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure it is. It's on my notion. It's in, uh, <laughs> it's in Web3. <laughs> oh man, don't get me started. I know, that. that'll be We're another episode. <laughs> We're about to end this episode. But yeah, I think when I'm 80, I hope that I can access these Jar of Awesomes and just remember, just have a little glimpse of all the positive things that actually happen in my 30s because I do journal a lot about my failures. I am very honest about all the hard experiences I've had, but I also have all of my Jar of Awesome entries. So that'd be something I would love to get back into. Thank you so much for listening. Again, this was a very fun episode to talk about. And, and I hope that you, you as the audience got to learn a new perspective and try it out for anything that you're pursuing, whether it's a creative endeavor, your job, or even just learning a new hobby. Thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.